This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, August 30th with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. I'm Tim Priester. And we just spent some time with Brian Kelly for what will now be a every Monday press conference with the Irish head coach. Not a really only, I don't know, maybe one surprise on the entire depth chart. But we let's start with Maris Leofau, obviously, since our last gathering, uh, a, a pretty catastrophic injury for Leofau and you know, as it relates to Notre Dame's defense, yeah, they're deep, the linebacker, but they don't have anybody like Maris Leofau, and that's a that's a tough blow. A, uh, a dislocation and a break, and he is out for the season. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, he, O'Malley and I were, we were all three of us talking and walking out of the stadium today, just like, it's rare that they, there's always somebody that gets hurt in preseason, right? Like it's Jerron Jones or Kevin Austin, or you know, there's always somebody. Uh, but rarely is it the guy you were just like, damn, I was just like as a fan of college football, really excited to see this guy play. Um, you know, he had made such a big jump in his game, had shifted positions a little bit. And I thought really could have been this kind of one of the, the breakout players of this season for Notre Dame. So to have that taken away is it's it's rough and it's. You know, you're doing a live scrimmage the wet what the Wednesday before game week. It's sort of like the last day of that kind of contact. So it just is a, a really kind of a rotten way for that to happen. Yeah, if there's two guys, I thought, you know, the that, that's the only game on Sunday night. If there's two guys, I thought America would come away from that game saying, Whoa, would be Michael Mayer and man, who's that guy on third down for Notre Dame running around there? That yeah. that was gonna be you know with low, lesser extent than Mayer, obviously, but yeah, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch and all those speed packages. And we we know from, I mean, it's right away, a source was like, he affects everything they're doing. Like, they they have to, they had so many things they had to account for uh, when Leofau went down, um, right down to even the defensive line's alignment. It was just uh, obviously in a speed package, you know, not not at will. But, uh, yeah, and I, I we were talking the way out. Bertrand will do a really good job on first and second down, but it's a different thing with that body running around out there. Yeah, and and what, remember the other day, Tim, when we were there talking to Brian Polian, and he mentioned core players on his coverage team. I think Leofau was mentioned second. Yeah. So oh, I mean, yeah, it really, and that's why I asked the question of Brian Kelly about the trickle down effect that it that it has on the defense as well as special teams. Last week we had a question: What player will benefit the most from Marcus Freeman's defense? And my guy was was Leofau. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's a significant loss. I do think JD Bertrand can be a, a, a quality linebacker for Notre Dame um, really an interesting story because I mean he went from third team to first team with an injury and of course a switch of defensive coordinators but I think Bertrand I agree Tim first and second down would be very good they'll have to be a little bit more creative after that uh, that could call into play Jordan Botello a little bit more in those yeah. situations which which would fit fit his skill set um, but you know I mean really tough for Leofile because he was definitely trending uh, in that direction. And Tim, I want you to expand on that real fast. Batello, we talked about on the walkout. Say what you what you mean about like how Batello well, benefits. Yeah, I think we talked about it last week on the podcast. Let's not you shouldn't freak out when you see Batello third team because in 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 the special packages when they're in passing situations, I, I would imagine he's going to be on the field. So somebody was talking about Florida State's uh our lads has Florida State's depth chart out there and they have 13 guys on offense. Well, that's, and you, you know, you have to do something similar defensively. That's just the nature of the game. You have your right. base defense and then you have your more exotic stuff. So he'll be on the field. I would assume 
but you know, knowing that the depth chart went out today and uh, I know how how easy it is to freak out about a depth chart uh, before they actually get started playing. But no real surprises there other than maybe K.J. Wallace behind Houston Griffith, although he is more strong safety than, than D.J. Brown, who's behind Hamilton. I guess that makes sense. I would imagine we're still going to see D.J. Brown as well, even if even if Kyle yeah. Hamilton's on the field. I just thought about this. We, we, we talked about this pre-podcast. It just occurred to me, you got to list somebody as Kyle Hamilton's backup if Kyle Hamilton gets hurt. And it's DJ Brown, not KJ Wallace, because Houston Griffith is already in. So DJ Brown jumps in. I mean, I think DJ Brown's the third safety by far, yeah. and KJ Wallace is the yeah. fourth. It's you just you gotta list it. I mean, they, they part of this is who goes in, and that that's who goes in. Right. Joe Wilkins, who I mean, I guess I kind of assumed that when this came out today, he would be at the top of the depth chart. It is actually Kevin Austin Jr., who we will have an opportunity to speak to on on Tuesday. So that'll be that's that's good news. I, I imagine for most people, no surprises along the offensive line, whether it be first team or second team. Uh, hey, Michael Mayer's in the starting lineup this this week. Uh, George Tack is Kevin Bauman are listed as as or that I would imagine they'll both play. Everything is pretty much. I, I, is there anybody that I'm missing on offense or defense? That Shane Simon moves up to number two, Will behind J.D. Bertrand, but otherwise. It's pretty the much Rover as... was surprising to me. Who I mean, at Rover, the fact that it's they left it as open as they they did. I think that that may have to do with the you know the the getting all three guys ready to play. But like, yeah. I guess I thought Jack Kaiser would be a clear number one. And, well, Isaiah, uh, I think Pryor... I think ultimately he will be the clear number one. Yeah, I do too. I Priors, you know, I you have to look at the quote politics maybe of this a little bit. Priors in a, a grad student. Wallace is a senior, you know, yeah. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I think Pryor was the starter in the nickel and I, well, I know Kaiser was number two in the nickel. Cause they never, they never showed one nickel in our last practice, but they showed two nickel and it was Kaiser. Yeah. You know, so it, I mean, it wasn't Pryor. So I do right. think they just probably take into account, Hey, there's a package for Pryor. He's an or, yeah. and yeah, as I, Pete I, said I, about Mawala, he's just inexplicably makes plays whenever there's things going on. So you got to put him in an or as well. Um, what else? I mean, what, you know, I thought Pete, your question about how this is going to Florida state to open the season is similar to going to Louisville a couple of years ago and opening the season. Uh, uh, Brian Kelly said that. And uh, yeah, he, yeah. He, I'm like, I've felt that way, but like when he referenced, I'm like, great, I'm diving yeah, into this issue. Yes, exactly. Um, Cause there was like, that was a weird, that game had some weird dynamics to it. It felt like Notre Dame's linebackers had not practiced tackling. Um, for a month, nor could they figure out where the hell the ball was going. Um, and then all of a sudden it's 14, 14, the place is going nuts. I mean, you feel like Notre Dame is clearly the better team, but like, it doesn't really matter when you're a tie game on the road on Sunday night, opening yeah. weekend, and it's hot as heck. Um, and like all the, all those dynamics are potentially in play on Sunday night at Florida state. I th- yeah. I thought the night of Louisville, I thought that had a lot to do with a new head coach and a new offensive scheme. And Notre Dame had difficulty in some of the skill position athletes that Louisville right. was putting on the field. I, I thought it had a lot to do with that. I think this team is in the makeup of it and the depth of it, I think is much better prepared going into this environment than that team was going into Louisville. Um, you know, but we'll find out. And there is good, you know, I, I there is very good leadership on this team, but you know, you had a couple two-year captains last year uh, going into, going into last season. I, I think it's, 
I think I think it's a, a little bit different. I, I think that this is a this is a better prepared team going to going into Florida State than than they were going into Louisville. I feel like if it's 14-14 in the middle of the second quarter, Notre Dame will be just fine again, too. Yeah. The, only, the only time it's a problem is if you're looking up and it's 21-7 and you think, how did the world did that full field touchdown just happen? Like, it seems to find a way to happen to Notre Dame once a year, right? I mean, it, I've never yeah. seen I a mean, good that, team, but that happens to more. That's what I wanted to ask Kelly about is, like, how do you – you can't just say, like, calm down, it'll be fine. Like that doesn't work. Like you have to prepare to make sure that you yeah. can calm down and it will be fine. And that's a good explanation about, you know, sort of visualizing what the stadium is going to be like, you know, how loud it's going to be, where the the horse with the flaming spear is coming from, like <laughs> all that stuff, you know, you got all year to prepare for it. So prepare for it. Um, and that, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to be 14, 14 in the second quarter. And you're just be like, what the heck's going on? Uh, but there's, all this sort of inventory and prior experience to call on to be like, all right, we talked about this, chill out. It's, it's okay. Um, so I think that, that part of that, that issue is interesting. I mean, it doesn't mean that I expect Florida state to win 35, 27. Yeah. And Jack Cohn's 25 games of experience, 18 games of starts. I mean, that was asked and Brian Kelly, you know, I mean, he feels pretty darn good about Jack Cohn because he comes to practice every day and is the same guy that, that gives you some emotional stability going into that situation. I asked about red zone. It was something I asked in the spring. Brian Kelly, he didn't say this in the spring. He talked about how run heavy they were in, in the red zone and that, um, you know, but in the passing part of the red zone, you just got to pull the trigger. And I, you know, he doesn't want to say that Ian Book wouldn't pull the trigger, but that's pretty much what he's saying that he wouldn't wouldn't pull it you know so I think he's more confident that Jack Cohn will see it and let it rip um and you know look Ian Book protected the football to a to a fault I guess you could say at some at at times uh but he protected the football and that that helped Notre Dame win the the number of games they did with him as starting quarterback like yeah there's there's past quarterbacks that uh from Tommy Dane Chris to Tommy Reese to Everett Golson it was a turnover waiting to happen when you got down in the red zone, and that, that's a killer. Notre Dame needs to be better to be a champion in the red zone, but I thought Kelly started defending the team's performance in the red zone, too. He's like, look, we ran it great. We did not pass it well. We have to be better at yeah. the ladder, and that's true. I mean, it's you almost have to figure that they will. You have to break tendency, too, a little bit, right? If you're Tommy Reese in the first couple games where it's like, well, this, <laughs> we're a running team on third and two, let's – or running team on second and two, let's pound it. Well, maybe not. Maybe maybe break tendency a little bit with yeah. the and, and they have more targets. They just have more right. targets they, in the red do. zone. Yeah. I, I mean, if you if the only addition was Kevin Austin, that would be enough. I, you know, as far as adding targets to the red zone, because you know Mayor will be there. And you know, I realize that maybe you know you don't you don't have McKinley or Skoranek who are who are bigger receivers, but. Um, and, and, you know, Pete, it's something that I've been talking about during the, the preseason about 21 personnel. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that Brian Kelly, you know, there was the old 21 personnel, which was a fullback matched up with a running back. This is anything yep. but that with Kyron yeah, Williams. I was like, well, like, what are we yeah. talking about? Yeah. You know. <laughs> this is a waste of press conference. So I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> like, who do you think I am right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, did, I never even, you know, 21 personnel, I never even thought of it in the terms of having a fullback no. anymore, because <laughs> I don't think we were, I don't think we were using uh, personnel no. grouping expressions like that when Notre Dame would still have a fullback. I know we weren't. 
So, yeah, you know, and he talked about Mayor Williams and Tyree on the field together. Um, you know, obviously with, with a couple of, of dangerous and explosive whiteouts potentially. Yeah. I mean, that's like one of, I'm interested to sort of see how they align on defense, but I have no idea how I'm actually going to track that. Um, but I I do want to track like, all right, how many plays did they run with Williams, Tyree and Mayer out there together and what happened on them? Um, I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch on Sunday night. The good news, Pete, is if you write down 87 and you do your check marks, you'll just make about 80 check marks out of the 85 players. Yeah. That was that was Michael Mayer. <laughs> he was out there. It was Mayer. It was Mayer. That he makes it a lot easier to, to track things. Yep. Tommy Reese uh, coming back from the the um, appendectomy, appendectomy that he had. Easy for me to say. Uh, and you know, basically, his recover recovery took place last week. Uh, again, easier for Brian Kelly to say. I'm sure. I'm sure Tommy <laughs> Reese is is still a little sore from the procedure, but uh, so you know he'll be back full go. Um, he'll be up in the booth. Marcus Freeman, which we wrote about earlier a couple of weeks ago, will be on the field where he's more comfortable, and um, they'll be ready to go. They've practiced that. These are all things. It's a part of the procedure. Brian Kelly has a long list of special situations, and he makes sure that they practice. Yeah before they go into that first game, the key is trying to keep trying to refresh that during the season, uh, you know, because there's a lot of situations that can occur, um, you know, that, that can flummox a team, especially on the road. Anything else from Brian Kelly before we move on to segment two from you guys? No, I mean, I, I was. this Somebody brought this up in my mailbag last week or maybe it was on Twitter, just like how lighthearted he has been with us pretty much since camp started. I don't know if there's anything to read into it. Like, but I think he is, he's either as upbeat as he's been in a while or just pretending to be. Um, but it's just is like it... his, his, his demeanor. I think he's just seems super relaxed about uh, sort of how this team has come together. And I assume that means he feels like he knows what he's going to see on Sunday night. I think he is year five into this program, the new program, you know, and I, they're probably very comfortable with the, with yeah, their off be. seasons. Yeah. They're all, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure he wasn't comfortable going to 2017 cause that was year one, but you know, I think going through now, I mean, you, you think about Notre Dame, they, they are a focused program from this year, February on. Right. And I don't think they believe moments are too much. I mean, that the Alabama moment wasn't too much. The players were, that's, the skill players were too much. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the moment. I, I mean, I think yeah. Notre Dame will respond. Jack Cohn, look, Kelly mentioned he has, he, he's going to have jitters. It's his first start for Notre Dame, and there's no other game on TV or no other game on that day. Everyone's watching. Uh, but he started in a Big Ten championship game. He started in a Rose Bowl, Happy Valley, the horseshoe. He'll be, he can settle in and yeah. be okay. I think Kelly sees a lot. Look at, look at the defense. Cam Hart is the guy you haven't seen perform yet. On the two deep, Cam Hart. That's it. That's I mean, it. you have well, players everywhere. I guess Bert, not uh, ascended to two deep, but yeah, Bert, Bertrand. Yeah, Bertrand. But yeah. his backup started eight games, and I know Bertrand's right. better than Simon, but that's, right. I think he can kind of rely on what he has. I, I read nothing into Brian Kelly's demeanor. He's always, I mean, he was trending, as yeah. you say, Tim. I mean, he's been trending in that direction. And I mean, isn't he usually pretty pleasant with us? It's, it's, it's usually a, a, a pretty pleasant conversation with him. When we start to get into the season, when it when the pressure yeah, starts to build up, a little bit, and the, the the sleep deprivation kicks in, it makes it a little bit more difficult. But I, he's been training in that direction. 
I don't read anything into it other than you're right, Tim. It's 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 year five of the transformation, and that's who he is now as head coach at Notre Dame. We'll be back. Segment two, burning up the boards. Let Irish Express take care of your game day travel. Ride in style to South Bend from Chicago by motor coach with a full bartender, bathroom, and Wi-Fi. Upon arrival, enjoy an all-inclusive tailgate, and after the game, head back with refreshments. Visit irishexpress.com to book your reservation today and save 10% when using the code IRISH21. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider is burning up the boards. We start with a question from the Pain Train 88. Other than the athletic quarterbacks, what is Florida State's offensive threat to the Irish? It just seems like they don't have a chance to move the ball consistently. We're overstating it there. (laughs) We're we're overstating quite a bit. They they don't have the guys that you associate with Florida State. I, you want to bring that? I I totally agree. You you don't look up and down and say, "Oh my gosh!" I mean, what what are you going to do about these guys? But. They ran the ball well against Notre Dame last year. I know Tabori and Terry was part of the reason they scored 26 points, my guy, but uh, or my ex-guy. Um, I like Florida State's offense. I just don't like Florida State's offense against Notre Dame. I think Florida State have an improved offense this year. And not in a Brian Kelly way, they're going to win their half of the ACC as soon as the game is over type thing. I just think Florida State kind of has it. Last year, they had strife all year with with COVID and Norval's comments and stuff like that going into the season. And then they, I mean, at some point they just stopped caring too, right? A lot of teams stopped caring last yeah, year. Yeah, the defensive it's, front stopped oh, caring early in yeah. the season. Uh, Jordan Travis threw for 200, he was 17 for 31, 252 yards, 15 yards per completion last year. Uh, you know, he ran for how much now? He ran for over 100 yards and a touchdown yeah. against Notre they Dame. They averaged 5.1 yeah. yards per carry for the season. You don't. I, I thought Webb had a really good – yeah, Webb was a good runner against Notre Dame. Yeah, you don't gone, accidentally but, average 5 yards per carry. They have some – they're running backs. Corbin and Tofili. I mean, those, those guys can run. And I know their offensive line has been criticized in recent years, but you don't average 5 yards a carry over the course of a season unless you're doing some good things up front. Yeah, Part of it a, is the quarterback. It was a hideous line a couple of years ago. I don't. Yeah. I think they've gotten out of that realm. It's. I mean, it's certainly not. You're, the last offensive line you face is a lot better than this one for Notre Dame. But um, I mean, I, you know, we have an insiders preview coming up tomorrow, and I feel like we talk about Notre Dame's wide receivers. If I if I said to a Florida State fans, "Yeah, wait, do you see Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsey, Avery Davis, and Joe Wilkins?" I'd be like, "Who?" They have that going on too, though. Andrew Parchment transferred that, from Kansas. Malik McLean. They like the receivers. Aren't they saying the Florida State fans are saying that in response to your comments on? Oh, are they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they apparently. are. But I mean, Notre Dame. That, but I, but I get it, right? I mean, you look up if, if you heard me say on a, on a show, man, Notre Dame's wide receivers had a great camp. You go look them up. You're like, they have three touchdowns right. <laughs> in their careers. Right. It's, you know, they've played in 99 career games with 88 career catches. <laughs> wow. But you, but you agree, right? They're Notre yeah. Dame's receivers. No, I, I would, yeah. Like as as sort of out there as Braden Lindsay was when we talked to him, like I totally get looking at Notre Dame's receivers and being like, "All right, let's see. I mean, show me something here." Sure. Um, sure. I mean, we've seen a little bit of a camp. They have shown a little something if you're around here, but they haven't done it on a Sunday night or Saturdays. I love how. Um... Like you go to our board, Notre Dame fans think that the Florida State fans are overly optimistic, and you go to Florida State's site, and they they think uh, they think you're a homer, O'Malley. So I mean, it, go, oh, it, it just it the last just, people that thought that was North Carolina fans, they found out. 
what I was talking about. Yeah, it just, it just goes both ways, man. It just goes both ways. Question from Terry Benedict. In your dealings with Jack Cohn, is he ready to deal with all the criticisms that surround the quarterback position at Notre Dame? Pre-game. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I do not think he cares at all. Like, zero craps given about that kind of thing. Um, and it, I think in dealing with him and talking to people that know him and just sort of like what he's about, like, not phased by any of it. I don't think he's motivated by any of it. None of it. I, I just think that he's just sort of like, whatever, I'll roll with it. And so I, I don't think there's, there's much that's going to face him with like the Notre, the Notre Dame part of being the quarterback here. Which I guess is a, a change, right? I mean, Ian Book had to get used to it. He was certainly phased by it. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, I, I think publicly phased by it and famously phased people by it. around him were like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pissed off about it a lot of times. Um, you know, Brian Kelly was sensitive to it. I, I don't think that's going to be much of a storyline this season. I think I think it's really interesting that you bring that up because I think that that is the most significant difference between the two. I mean, other than the, just the physical characteristics and what one does better than the other, and vice versa. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I mean, that, that's certainly the impression that Jack Cohn has given us. We don't know him that well, but that's the impression. Everything is low key. He takes it in stride. Um, hopefully for Notre Dame, that's accurate when he goes into Tallahassee this, this Sunday night, but that's, and that's what you need going into an environment the the Florida state fans don't, this is a fresh start for them. So you know, they're going to be geeked and it's going to be crazy there and it's going to be hot and humid and it's going to be a difficult environment. And that's exactly the kind of demeanor that you want your, your quarterback to have. Next from Irish math. We all expect improvement from the receivers. Should we be expecting that improvement to show itself Sunday in Tallahassee or anticipate the improvement taking more time? I, I think it'll, nice. I think it'll get better as it goes along, but I don't, I don't know why, you know, and the, and the main thing for me is Kevin Austin hitting the ground running during the preseason and he's ready to go. He's the starter. They list him as a starter. So clearly he has emerged and proven himself, at least on the practice field. And so I think that's significant. We know Michael Mayer will be ready to go. I know he's not one of the whiteouts, but that helps your whiteouts. He's going to look you, like one at one point. Yeah, right. Exactly. And when you, you know, when you, when you can get the ball, when, when they want to take away the tight end, but they can't do it. And when they want to take away the running backs, but they can't do it because you're going to throw it to them. Now it opens things up for your whiteouts. I, I don't, I mean, I, I think they'll continue to get like anything. They got better last year as the season went on, and I think they will, but I don't see any reason why they can't hit the ground running Sunday night. They're seniors for Christ's sake. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, like what how long how much longer do you need? Like it's not the like the Kevin Austin thing I get. He hasn't played football in two years. Uh the rest of them, like, come on. There has been no there's been no pushback <laughs> from Brian Kelly or Tommy Reese when we compliment Kevin Austin. Not, nope. I mean, like the closest there's been is Michael Mayer. We asked Michael Mayer the same question. Michael Mayer can will say anything about anybody. Apparently, <laughs> he was a great interview. But we asked Mayer, I was like, is he always that good? And he's like, you know, I mean, we all have our ups and downs. But yeah, Kevin's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't want to overplay this because no, I think no, like the, because an offensive line needs time for chemistry, and a, and a quarterback and his receivers need time for chemistry in game situations. I think it'll get better, but I don't. They shouldn't be. You know they shouldn't be on uh, on different pages going into this game. They right. should at least be that. 
anybody can get overexcited and drop a pass that they would otherwise catch. I, sure. I understand that. Michael Mayer did it last year against Clemson. Yeah. Statman 72, if a deep passing game is again a problem this year, who will be the most to blame? The offensive line for not providing enough time, the receivers for not getting open, or Jack Cohn for not finding them throwing accurately? Who, who do you think will be the least to blame of the three? Well, we'll rank them, I guess. Well, uh, we'll Ian Book would be the game. least to blame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is least on that one. Right? Okay, so he's number one. So what's number what number two would be offensive line or receivers not getting open or cone not getting the job done? I can't imagine Austin and Lindsay not separating this year. I mean, as good as Joe Wilkins has been, I can imagine Joe Wilkins running into some games where like, man, that dude is all over Joe Wilkins right now. That's why you have guys like yep. Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay, but I can't, I, and I think Avery Davis, if, if Austin, Lindsay, and Mayer are out there, I think Avery Davis is going to be getting open. It should be that way. There is a trickle down, right? I guess if they lose a Mayer or Austin, then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, now you can double team somebody and now everybody's oh, not yeah. quite as no, I, Either of those, I think, would be pretty debilitating to yeah. any kind of deep passing game. I, I am pretty optimistic and confident that Jack Cohn's going to take some shots. So... I, I'm not going to put him on, on my list of reason they're not pushing the ball vertically. And I also think that like the offensive game plans are going to be more aggressive too, because they're going to have to score more points because they, they don't have an offensive line that you just is going to suffocate you in the fourth quarter, nor do they have a defense where there's like, well, you're not going to score more than 17 points. So let's not turn the ball over with a deep shot. Like they're going to have to take some chances. And I think they have a quarterback and receivers who are willing to do it. I would think, I mean, I would choose the offensive line as most, if there's a breakdown, as most likely. Because, I mean, even veteran offensive lines have difficulty with complexities of, of pass rushes and blitzes. The, the, the variety of looks that you now get as an offensive line, it just takes time to get that kind of chemistry. So I would list, I'm, I'm not one that, I don't, I'm not big on the whole blame thing because in athletic competition, one team plays the other team and one team plays better than the other team. And I don't like, like ESPN does that all the time though. Who do you blame? Who do you blame for the outcome of this game? And I, you know, I, I blame athletic competition many times, but to answer the question of Statman 72, I'd put the offensive lines first as most likely. And then I would say maybe receivers not getting open where they're inexperienced catching a lot of passes comes into well, play it is like i mean you have to be conscious of like what down and distances are you in like and this goes yeah. back to the offensive line like maybe your running game on first and ten isn't isn't what it was last right. year and like you're second and eight a lot well i don't are you taking a lot of deep shots on second and eight and then suddenly you're in third and eight or you get sacked and you're third and 12 like that i don't know I, I would just like to see i mean we all have watched enough football to know like this is a moment where you can take a deep shot. You're at midfield, change of possession. Uh, second and two with a 45. Like That's where I think we would like to see Notre Dame get more aggressive. So if they get in a lot of those instances, then I think that they will do it. But if it's third and 12, I don't think that's a time where you'd be like, man, I really wish Notre Dame had more of a vertical passing game. I want to bring this up so it's not in retrospect. I, I did kind of cringe when I heard Brian Kelly uh, reference, we can be efficient in the running game. I didn't like the word usage. Uh, maybe it's a word he uses differently than mine, uh, than I would. You just wonder if understate, you're saying that he's he yeah. indicating that there might be a problem. Uh, indicating that there's a, there could be a 
probably I don't I mean no one thinks they're going to be as good at running the ball just brutishly as they were last year right they, they can't be they lost the four guys that made them do it four of the five guys that made them do it but I, I thought the we could be an efficient running team I was like don't, don't say, say the you, word extension don't say extension yeah, don't say that extension. was the next thing it's like <laughs> as soon as you use that e-word it's going to follow up with the next e-word and that's extension <laughs> that did not happen thankfully he is he oh. didn't say that but no, it'll be. <laughs> I, anyway anyway i i'm gonna watch i guess watch the offensive line pete when you said you know second and eight you don't look as good at quarterback if you're in second and eight and they were nope. not in second and eight a lot last year it's like um I mentioned it on our way out when he was asked by Isaiah Foskey if he was ready to take the leap, and he said his football ability continues to grow. It's just not the inspiring words that you want to hear. Well, it was about your viper was, coming off the edge, and I'm not criticizing him. I just think, last week, and he, what do you say? Like he's very assignment correct, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> remember when they they described Stefan Tua and Aaron Lynch as assignment correct? <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah. when they said they weren't. Yeah. yeah. But they were still like ragdolling quarterbacks all over the place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I think there's been so many questions on Foskey, starting with Pete in the spring when we were all shocked at his yeah. answer. <laughs> and Pete's like, "Okay, can't write that story." <laughs> that it's just uh, he's probably like, guys, quit asking me about a breakout player in front of Isaiah Foskey's name all the time. I mean, he we haven't seen him do great things is right. That's, that's all we're saying. Yeah, that's I mean, that's all we're, all we're saying. We're not saying that he can't. We're no, saying... we, we thought all we, all we thought was he could last year. Remember going you know, right. all, all summer right. during COVID we talked about Isaiah Foskey. Right. Well, I'll be on the lookout for that. Uh, the efficient running game on Sunday night. <laughs> Go ahead, Tim. CMU Penn fan. What is one thing about Marcus Freeman that you think will make his defense better than Clark Lee's? And what is one thing you think Clark Lee will have done better than Freeman? I think, um, I mean, we know what Freeman wants to do. He wants to create havoc up front, and that can confuse quarterbacks. Um, and that's a really good thing, if you can pull that off. I, yeah. I, I still think, I mean, regardless, we can talk about where they are at defensive end. I still think that he, he will scheme their way into pressuring the quarterback on a fairly consistent basis. That's what he does. Um, you know, I've talked about, if you look at the stats that, that – despite Freeman's aggressiveness, they since they didn't give up a ton of big plays, but they gave up a lot more than Clark Lee's defense did as a whole. And so I think that's where, you know, there are, you can be successful defensively in a lot of different ways by keeping the football in front of you, but also by being aggressive. There are different ways of being successful offensively as well. Um, but I just think that the nature of Freeman's approach is going to, to give quarterbacks a lot more to consider, especially pre-snap. I would be shocked, and this is not a criticism of Marcus Freeman, but I would be shocked because it is almost logically impossible to be better at in-game adjustments than Clark Lee. I, well, I just don't point. know how Marcus Freeman could be better than Clark Lee at that. And it's like, I mean, you can go back to the Louisville game from a couple of years ago. They start slowly. The linebackers don't know where they are in space. Uh, Clark Lee calls down to Nick Klasinski, Nick Klasinski gathers the linebackers around and is like, okay, you're seeing this. What they're actually doing is that, go. And then the game is over. Um, I mean, what they did to North Carolina last year with Kyle Hamilton out. Uh, that was remarkable, and that needs to be brought I mean, up every time geez. we – I just – that was – man, Clark Lee was so, so good at that. Um, and if Marcus Freeman is half as good at that as Clark Lee, Notre Dame will have a really good defense. Yeah, I, I agree with Tim that you're going to see some – 
really exciting, fun pressure stuff, even without Leah Fow, although I loved him in that. Uh, and you know how when Cornell Powell scored against Notre Dame last year in the Clemson game, we're like, oh, haven't seen that yet. I think that was Clark Lee's structure that allowed Notre Dame not to see that, not just that Clemson has better receivers than the guys mm-hmm. Notre Dame played. And I think you'll probably see one of those guys running free down the post because of the exotic pressure doesn't get home. You know, the, the, the press coverage wasn't there. Um, yeah. But I expect Freeman's defense to be very sound as well. Just Clark Lee's was impossibly sound. That's the number one word would be sound, right? Yes. Yeah. What, what year was it when they gave up? There were two plays all year of 50 yards or more Two. I mean, that's it's in yeah. 13 games. That's really, yeah. really impressive question from Gabby new Gavin new. What is your confidence level of JD Bertrand to step up as a starter? How will that change the look of the defense? Second question. Hi. I mean, hi on the first part. I don't, I don't know how much it will change the look of the defense. I mean, they just said, I think it's, my concern is less Bertrand has to play for Leofau than it is Simon has to play for Bertrand, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. I think so. Yeah. And somebody else, you know, we, we're, we're speculating Batello can go in there and do what Leofau did, but if he could do it as well as Leofau, he would have been doing it as well as Leofau too. I, and yeah. we don't know exactly how he's going to employ Batello. We've no. seen some things, but we don't know exactly. That'll be, that'll be one of the more interesting things Sunday night. Remember, we, we were – almost accusing ourselves of overrating Maris Leofau coming into August because Tim, we had him 12th at Irish Illustrated, the entire team at the end of August, without an injury, we would not be overrating Maris Leofau. We know would have said, I got to drop him down. He'd have been like, I no, no way. In fact, we may, we may erase him. <laughs> Raced him up. Yeah. So that's yeah. Bertrand is not as good at Leofau at all the things Leofau does, but JD Bertrand, we had one of the better camps in our two big viewings, right? Two major viewings. JD Bertrand was all over the place physically. Just yes. I don't know. I mean, he was he he was in the spring. He is every yeah, time yeah. we see video of him. Yeah. Pete, did you uh, speaking of Leofau twelve? Pete, did you know that uh, O'Malley had uh, Jack Combs seventeenth in the? <laughs> in case you haven't heard that, in case you haven't read that, I think that will uh, come up a few times this season. <laughs> I think it will. I'd like to see Notre Dame go 12 and 0 and Jack Cohn finish exactly 16th or 17th on the uh, list. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> it's right, not. They Tim. have a lot of good players. It's just like Golson. They, they, right, they getting do have a one. lot of good yes. players. You have Tim. Kaiser Wilhelm. With 84 scholarship players on the roster, do you see Brian Kelly tapping one of the walk-on contributors? Is Matt Salerno the obvious choice or would Harrison Leonard be first in line? Well, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be Leonard because Josh Bryan's the number two kicker, so he came right at, he came in and and moved past him. Um, Salerno's not on scholarship right now, right? So, are they going to put two long snappers on scholarship? Milk, be milk. Vincent, Michael got, Vincent, yeah. I mean, I, Salerno Salerno makes sense too, but I, really seriously, it'll be milk. Have two long snappers out of eighty five scholarships, and and Vincent's Vincent's probably earned it. I mean, oh Salerno, yeah, Salerno has yeah. too. But uh, yeah. wow! <laughs> hey, this is just like the County down the Irish with me and Jack Cohn. Just because Jack Cohn's a quarterback doesn't mean Josh Lug can't be better than Jack Cohn at their respective jobs. Michael Vincent's better than Matt Salerno with their respective jobs. Okay, that's fair. It's true. <laughs> yes, that's I don't why know. he won that job. I, I know it for a fact. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm I've not watched sure. the punt return. I know, but I'm not sure that like we could see the entire 2021 season with Alex Pike snapping, and I, I'm not sure that we would say, oh wow, look at the big difference 
<laughs> no, I now would hope not. Snappers, I would hope not. But uh, you know, the nuances of the game and the coaches obviously are going to. But I, it, it's going to be. It'll be Vincent, right? If they. Yeah, it'll be Vincent. I, to answer I mean, your question, be Vincent. Then that would have to. That would have to be something that would be announced any. Any day, any moment. Now. Yeah. He, I mean, and as we all saw, he can also <laughs> return punts. So take that, Salerno. <laughs> That's right. Well, I mentioned that in the practice, he tied the in the practice report. He tied the longest punt return when he when he followed the ground there catching it last year. <laughs> You're not going to mention the first one? How he butchered the first one? No, nah, it's not his fault. That was on Bramblin. Yeah, it was on the punter for taking too well. In a game situation, Vincent would have cleared out. He wouldn't have let that. <laughs> That's he, right. He wouldn't even attempt to that one. Kay Beasley, what freshmen make the travel roster for Florida State? Good question. That is a good one. Uh, well, Lorenzo Styles. How, how much? First of all, how much room is there? Because I got a bunch written down. <laughs> I guess you can uh, you can bring more than the seventy. I guess you just have to pay for it. So I think that's why they cut off the seventy seventy one range, whatever it is seventy seventy one, because um, you got to justify paying for bringing your tenth wide receiver. But well, Blake Fisher will probably travel, right, guys? I would I think. think. So. Yeah, so it's good. Fisher, Spindler, Styles, Diggs, and Estime. Collie, we Ooh. believe, is traveling. We kind of think Collie's traveling. <laughs> Coles, Colsey, yeah, Colsey. Uh, Prince Collie will travel. Colsey for this one. Did you mention Buckner? I don't think he. Buckner will travel. Buckner will travel. Colsey, like I could see Estime not traveling. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I was just I putting him in the maybe a backup special yeah. teams thing. Um, uh, Barong or Evans, but not both. Or do you, you got like to travel. One you got to travel. Right? You absolutely have you to travel have one. My guess is they both. I wouldn't say that. I guess you have to. You uh, have to travel one. Um, depends on how they employ their tight ends and block in a kickoff return. Not that this is what the question person's asking for, but that is. Yeah. Uh, I bet like Kahano Kia would probably be on the cut I was line. Say, but I would, Kia, I would travel him if I could. Justin Walters, Walters will travel if healthy. Yeah, and then we never asked why Walters missed that practice. We're missing one. We never asked why Walters missed that practice, actually. But we are missing a special. Oh, um, I, uh, Barnes, Riley, JoJo Johnson. I don't think Barnes is going to travel. Uh, Johnson, no. Riley might be on the cusp of special teams, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, you got to bring six corners. One of those four. Yeah. Well, like one corner and one safety. So, you know, maybe it's Riley and Walters. Um, right, yeah. You know, and then like neither. Schweitzer, Anya, no. Kuga, no. Caleb Johnson, Joel, no. Um, you know, it's rough, roughly half of the class would travel. Yeah. Maybe a little more than half. I would think, yeah, I would think, uh, I mean, they love Alt. I, I realize that he would be, you know, you would have other guys that you would put ahead of him, but uh, I would think that he'd be a guy maybe down the road this sure. season that, yeah. that, that might travel. Question from Pin and Pole. Entering the season appears Notre Dame's depth and program health is in a good spot. When was the last time the program was in this healthy of a spot? Does this affect how you think about Notre Dame's floor in 2021 and beyond? Uh, the first part, it's hard to go back in time and think before things go wrong. I mean, I felt like the program felt healthy in 2015. They just didn't make the adjustments necessary. You know, the old, we went 10 and two. Why am I firing Brian Van Gordon Gorder comment when people asked about Van Gorder back then prior to 2016? I I guess I don't think we knew the program was about free fall after 15, right? 
I, you know, I certainly didn't. I mean, I didn't. Not that level. Not four eight. You can't anticipate. So, other that. than other than Kelly building it up there through fifteen, you'd have to go. I mean, you have to go back to the ninety-three, right? There's not even close. There's not even but, close. To but that. to say, but the the question is when they've been. I mean, in as good a spot as this. I mean, th- this program is better than it was in two thousand fifteen. For sure. We know I that. Guess, I, I guess yes. I just didn't know it was so going as, down at that point. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hear yeah. what you're saying. So, as good as, I mean, do you literally have to go back to the yeah, to the early 90s? To, well, it's like, what's what's good, right? It's winning 10 or more games in a season. They've won it four straight years. You got to yeah. go back to the 90s for that. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah, and, and I mean, more than that, the depth, the talent, we, we see it. We see a significant difference. For me, the 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 depth of talent and the and guys that, that can play that are second and third teamers, it's it's it hasn't been like this since since the the, the early nineties. Right. right. I, I think uh, this is not a good way of looking at it if you're noting football fan right now. But if noting lost to Florida State, I wouldn't think this season is over. I would just think, well, that's too bad. They're not going to the playoffs this year. But I could see them winning eight in a row. You know, nine in a row, reeling off nine in a row without. Tim, you're the only one, I think, on the train when they lost to Georgia when you said they're going to win up until USC. Like that was a you know, that was the cutoff point at that point. That's because they're, like, they're gonna that, win. Yeah. They, you know, that's because of the way they played in the most unbelievable. I, I was just in Milwaukee, they asked me, or maybe it was Los Angeles, greatest environment you've I didn't even let them finish the question. I said Georgia. Oh, uh, we've year, never Georgia we've, we've and I've been this is my 40th year. We I've I've been in some incredible environments, Miami, which was you know, like a dangerous situation. Yeah, that was in, unsafe. In, yeah, in in '89. But uh, yeah, when I when they played the way they played in that setting, maybe I should have been. You know, I mean, considering that they wouldn't even try to run the football at Georgia, I guess maybe I shouldn't have been so so optimistic. But it did. You know, it did work out. But uh, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. T. Branson, what is the secret to getting better in the red zone? Last year, Notre Dame had two tall wide receivers multiple tight ends beyond a solid offensive line, great running backs and a mobile quarterback. It had never worked well. How do they get better this year? Brian Kelly uh, addressed that. I think we touched on it in the first segment. I yeah. he, he kind of referenced that got to pull the trigger and you, you came back with, do you have more weapons to pull the trigger on? <laughs> he, he agreed. I, I, Kevin Austin and Mayer together, if Cohen's confident with the running game. And remember, Kyron Williams is going to score a couple touchdowns when they simply have a nice design play by Tommy Reese and he slips out and he's one-on-one and it's six points. There's, they have some, they have some dudes that can do it too. I think on this team. Yeah. I don't know if this was a red zone play technically, but I'm thinking back to Mayer's touchdown at Pittsburgh last year where it wasn't like great call. It was, Oh, we have mayor in the end zone. I'm just going to throw it up to him and see what happens. Like at that point you were, you thought mayor was going to be really good, but like, you don't know the way that you know now. Um, you right. don't know right. with Austin the way that you know now. So I just think they have more guys that Jack Cohn will look at and be like, you're a dude, I'm going to throw it up to you, you're going to get it. I don't, you know, Book, was he a little gun shy? Yeah, but I also don't think that he had what Cohn is working with now. Yeah, he went from Claypool to McKinley in terms of that, and that's just a different dynamic of, and McKinley had a good year. Yeah. There's a different that red zone was that, The red zone yeah. offense was fine, if I'm not mistaken, when they had Claypool. Yeah. You know, you mentioned dudes. I don't know how Deion Colsey is not on the field when they're inside the 10-yard line. 
or, or when they know, I, I'm sorry, when they know that they need to throw the football in the end inside zone. the 10 yard line. Yes. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, they, well, the key is you just got, you got to keep him 100% engaged all year long. So you can trust him to go. It's, he's yeah. got to play more than that snap. Does that make sense? Well, sure. You got to uh, be out there a that, little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But yep. in that situation, he's just got to, he's just got to separate and do what it, what comes very easily to him. And you're right that that is the one situation in sports where it's like, all right, we've got to go one-on-one with four guys out here. Yeah. And he's, he's a tough, he's a tough yeah. one to stop with that. Yeah. Next question is interesting. Go ahead, Tim. AJ Smith, 2021, which group has more receptions, the wide receivers or the tight ends plus running backs? Pete, you can go ahead and go first. Um, it will still be the receivers. I got the strength of Austin. And I don't, I don't know how many passes the running backs are actually going to catch. Um, I think they will be involved in the pass game, but I'm not sure that they're going to be a focus like Kyron Williams was a focus against Alabama. Hmm. I, I could be totally wrong on that one. So my hunch is receivers, but if you want to argue tight ends, running backs, go at it. I'm not yeah, I mean, I think I kind of, I think I would because Mayor's going to catch sixty. Yeah, Mayor might get 60. that. that and I, and if if Williams caught thirty five over the season last year, I think he approaches fifty. So there's, you know, there's. We're in, it's close though. I'm trying to figure three, it out. Like I know it's a great yeah. question. Yeah, so total ballparking and it's close. So like let's say Mayor's 50 to 60, uh, but Austin doesn't go over 50. Is that fair? I mean, there's only so many balls. They're gonna they're do other things. Well, People think, think they're gonna catch 80 Austin, balls. It's not that I, I think Austin's the one that can have a high number, and then you know, the Davises and the Wilkins and the Keys are in the you know who's yeah, who's the less. number so the number one receiver with is either Mayor or Austin, one two to, to lead the team in receptions. And Ky- Kyron Williams is at least number three, right? So who's four? Is it is it Davis? Just reception. I'm talking Yeah, I, I would think so. Probably Davis, Especially yeah. as a slot receiver. I, I would yeah. think so. And then, then you, hope you know, Lindsay Lindsay is still probably more of a you know big play guy that's averaging 17 yards a catch. Right. And isn't right. and isn't you know, catching eight passes in a game per se. And then Tyree over Wilkins uh, and over. I think over that's, just tough. Sure. that's just tough to say. That's yeah. just, you yeah. know, Keys has got I mean, I think that this will be a good, this will be a, this could be a fun thing to track over the season. Yeah. Cause I, I think, I think it's going to be very, it'll be very close at the end. I mean, you could see it be like one group had 127, the other group had 123. That, that's what I just wrote down. I was just random estimations like 120, 120. Oh, that looks close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I yeah. just, I yeah. just threw numbers yeah. out there, but, uh, I would think, I mean, Austin Mayor, Mayor Austin, right? It's, it's yes. And I, they're not, I don't think somebody can get like that astronomical 70 because there's, they have the other guy. Will Fuller didn't yeah. have that, guy, no, right? Yeah, yeah you're, pro- you're probably right there. And it's, just a, it's, a, it's a numbers game. Yeah, I mean, they still want to, they still got to run the damn thing. I mean, they still have two outstanding running backs. Efficiently, they're going to run. They're the going to run. Okay. Gonna very, very politely, they're going to yeah. run this year. Okay. Question from IC Gold. On last week's podcast, the cornerbacks were the only position. You collectively ranked lower in confidence from before the start of camp. Is this due to Clarence Lewis not building on last year? Cam Hart not meeting the expectations of a rumored strong summer? None of the young corners being ready? What details can you provide around that lower confidence pick? I'll go we first. We went out long- to practices and we didn't really see them make any plays. Um, that would be what, that would be a place to start. I mean, I think. They're both former three-star prospects. 
One's a converted receiver with uh, who's had the shoulder issue. Um, I think Clarence Lewis was a borderline shock to the staff last year. And we sort of evaluated, O'Malley makes this point a lot. And it's a good one. Like we sort of evaluated his season as like, that was really good for a three-star freshman. Now we're just evaluating him on like, well, is that also going to be really good for a corner who has to, you know, help a defense make the playoff? I, I don't no, know if he, that will cut it. No, you know, he needs four to be a four-year star, star four starter. That's the four-year starter we have to start evaluating. Right. Two-year starter now. Um, and I, I think, in fairness to the corners, but I, I agree with everything you just said, Pete. If we went out there, we didn't see him make a lot of plays. In fairness to the corners, seven on seven and one on one, obviously, obviously favors the wide receivers. Sure, um, you could make some more plays. We didn't see a ton of wide receiver plays either in scrimmage, but that is because there were guys up front disrupting everything. And once again, in mm-hmm. fairness to the offense, if you're going to rotate Marcus Freeman's defensive personnel, they're going to do better than rotating offensive personnel. It's just the way it looks in practice. They're, they're going to get the best of a rotating line and rotating receivers. If Marcus Freeman does what he wants to do, and I, and I, I think that depend, hopefully he's there for a couple of years so you can see the evolution of what he wants to do defensively, but he wants to, he wants to run man coverage with his corners and press. Now that gives you an opportunity perhaps to make a few more plays and Tariq Bracey probably made as many plays as anybody that we saw in the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that's, he, you know, if he's on a slot, I I think that's a good, that's a good position for him, but you know, press and man coverage. I, I, this group isn't, really experienced of that in game situations. Nick McLeod liked the press. We knew that when he came in. Uh, so I think that, you know, it isn't any one thing. Uh, one of those questions isn't any one thing. Cam Hart hasn't shown it yet in the game. So no matter what, unless he dominated a practice, we weren't going to be fawning right. all over him. Clarence Lewis has to be. Yeah, I think you're right, Pete. He came in, he was, he had a good year for a three-star cornerback. He needs to be a four-star cornerback now. Um, and then, you know, you're not, you're, you're not really sure about Henderson yet. So I just think, I think it's a, a difference in scheme and I, and we didn't see it. I think it's a combination of those two. There are people very, very high on Cam Hart. We just have to see with our own eyes, right? Exactly. We, it, yes. I, they, I think behind closed doors, Nordame, at least they were coming out of the spring. We're very, very confident in Cam Hart. Next from need a turnover, please explain how Iowa State at 30 to 1, Texas at 40 to 1, and North Carolina at 40 to 1 all have better odds of winning in the national championship than Notre Dame at 50 to 1. I can tell you why North Carolina does. They don't play Clemson. They don't play Clemson. Well, they do, they will. <laughs> well, they will have to, yeah. yeah. Uh, but they you, have can eight, play, you can play undefeated Clemson and not hurt yourself too. They that's, have 18 starters back. Their offensive line's intact. They have a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback. They have very good young receivers. They have a 2,000-yard rusher at running back. They have 10 starters on defense. They have a head coach that's won a national title. They don't play Clemson. I got a good they, question, though. There's a bunch Texas. of pre- – and they've lost They've lost 10 times in the last two years, so I get it that they're probably not going to win the national title, but there are a lot of reasons to mention North Carolina. The only real reason to mention Texas is the high expectations for Steve Sarkeesian. I think mm-hmm. they have a great running back in Bijan Robinson. Yes. After that, if, I, if they I upset agree. Oklahoma, if they upset Oklahoma. That I mean, that's kind of like the okay. All of a sudden, Texas is in the national conversation, right? If you upset Oklahoma, yeah, I don't I mean, think I, Texas, Texas is not going to win the national odds. title. No, they shouldn't have better odds than Notre Dame. I agree so that, with that. That's weird. That's strange. Um, I mean, Notre Dame has 
four top 15 teams in a five-week or six-week span, if you count the bye. And nobody in America knows that their best units, their defensive line. <laughs> it's like, it's like people must think I am crazy when I talk about the best defensive line being the best unit. Like if you go on a radio show and you talk about the defensive line, like who is on the defensive line? Like 12 guys that are pretty, that are from pretty good to very good. That have played well. They've been yeah, in that games, have played well against Alabama. Well. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just a different, I get it though. They don't have any names other than Kyle Hamilton. People don't even know Michael Mayer well enough, which is I mean, no. obviously going to very quickly, but. Iowa State was nine and three last year. They have 20 starters back, all five of their offensive linemen. They have stars, or at least by Iowa State standard, stars at quarterback, Purdy, running back, Hall, tight end, Kohler. I think his point is, is I mean, important. I, so they're be, not going to win it. Be, I can see getting to the playoffs over yeah, Notre Dame I mean, because of schedule. They're 31, Notre Dame's 50 to 1. Iowa State that's can't absurd. win a playoff game in a hundred. I mean, they couldn't win a playoff game if <laughs> Alabama forgot the game time and showed up midway through the first quarter. Like, how how is Iowa State going to win a playoff game? No, I would, I would, I would argue for North Carolina, but I, but I couldn't argue for, and I, you know, by Iowa State standards, they are at they're at an Iowa State peak right now. Yeah, they can they can find their oh, way yeah. into spot number four in the playoffs. Then they'll get bulldozed. But that's fun. That's if if that was to make the playoffs, you would we're done explaining it. Like they could easily right. find their way in. Right. But that's yes. that, that, then the hard part starts. Is uh, Notre Dame and Oklahoma fans know pretty well. Uh, question from JC underscore M underscore F. I'm not sure what the translation of all that is, but we'll move on to the question rank. The, Rank the likelihood of the following scenarios. One, the moment is too big for Notre Dame and Florida State wins big, like Michigan. That's what was put in parentheses. Two years ago. <laughs> you didn't just number, say it. <laughs> number two, yeah. Number two, Florida State wins a close game. Number three, Notre Dame wins a close game. Number four, Notre Dame trounces Florida State. I think we'll probably uh, be in agreement here, guys. One is last. Yeah, one is, one is last. last. I'd say three is... Three, four, two, one. Do you agree with that, Tim? Yeah, because trounce is strong. I mean, can Notre Dame win? But what if Notre Dame wins by ten? Is that that's not a trouncing? Not, right? not a trouncing. Then, then three, four, two, one. Which means, yeah, Notre Dame wins a close game first. Notre Dame trounces Florida State second. Florida State wins a close game third. And Florida State's not going to trounce Notre Dame. That's ridiculous. No, and I think last year's Notre Dame offensive line in this game would trounce Florida State's team. I know you could do that. Thing yeah. with anybody, but yeah. that's that's the question mark for the game is if the offensive line is really good or a work in progress, right? Right. Okay. Last question. Volley cheer on high, and it is directed at all three of us. Priester, you predicted a loss to North Carolina. O'Malley, you predicted a loss to Virginia. A lot of people have Notre Dame as a ten and two team this year. If Notre Dame does go ten and two, who is that second loss coming to for Sampson? If you had to pick two losses, who are they? Uh, I am. Wisconsin, and then I think they will split USC, North Carolina, but I do not know which one will be the loss. Who would, Tim, if you picked the second loss, who would it be? I would, if I had to pick a second loss, I would pick Wisconsin because I think the lines can hold up. I think North Carolina's offensive line can't hold up against Notre Dame's healthy defensive line. So I wouldn't at home. So I'd yeah, pick Wisconsin as my the, second one. The, I mean, trying to evaluate who has, this is a message board conversation. Wisconsin can't match up talent wise. I, I mean, I don't think anybody would, would disagree with that, but 
defensively, they're going to make things problematic for Notre Dame's offense. And so I think that gives them a chance to win the game. I think it's low when it's low scoring and close, then either team can win the game. My pick, however, is Cincinnati. Because I think Cincinnati is mm. Cincinnati really, really, really Wisconsin is the is my why I could see that one. Yeah. I, I mean I I I, like I, I I stand by North Carolina. So was my North Carolina pick a lazy pick, Tim? No, I think North Carolina is very good. People do not lazy. I think they're the best team on Notre Dame's schedule. Therefore, if I were to pick a loss, I would pick that. But and I, you know, whatever. I know people don't think that Cincinnati has enough talent. I, I again, five straight games against teams that have two weeks to prepare. North Carolina is the fifth of those. I, I had I, another site. I had another site writer apparently hear about my Virginia pick. Yeah. I mean, my point is they're going to get upset on the road. No, that is I the agree. Whole point. Somebody, that's my somebody point. else in the, yeah. somebody else in the fringe yeah. media pick Virginia. Yeah. As the you know who Ohio pick. State's, you know, who Ohio State's last two losses are in, in the regular Purdue? season. Purdue, Purdue and Iowa. <laughs> Clemson's yeah. or Syracuse and Pitt. So it can happen. Georgia's loss when they beat, when they went to the national championship game was South Carolina. Like, and then the best yeah, one to put I mean, here, Alabama's lost more to Ole Miss in the last decade than Georgia and Florida combined, is what he sent me. <laughs> but Notre Dame can't lose to Virginia when they when they're oh they're so focused. Yeah, people aren't focused for twelve games. That's my uh, point. And I want to uh, our game by game predictions, which of course mean nothing be, because unless you have it was no last idea. year, that may mean everything. Because well, yeah, perfect. but what, perfect, what so. matters <laughs> is what you pick the week of the game because you know yeah. what the teams have and don't have, but. In my North Carolina prediction, I said three turnovers. Notre Dame's going to turn over three times. That was my justification for, for losing that game. I mean, you said flashbacks it, to Golson against North Carolina. Every, every team turns it over three times once in a in a yeah, at least sure. once in a season, right? Hopefully not Sunday night. <laughs> yeah. On that yeah. note. <laughs> yeah. Now look, hey, uh, and we're going to wrap with that. But I, I steered away from a lot of Florida State questions because that's for Thursday. We're now in season, and I know people want to move turn the page to Florida state, but I thought we'd talk about the things that Brian Kelly had on his mind as they head into this week. And then on Thursday, we already have a couple questions in line that I say from today uh, regarding Northern Florida state. We, pr- we appreciate you joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be back with you on Thursday. <laughs>